Hey everyone, welcome back to Speaking to Stacy. Let me do my medical disclaimer to begin with. I have created this podcast and website, including any references, links, or other knowledge resources for informational purposes only. I do not provide any medical or professional advice on the website and podcast. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. If you take any action or inaction as a result of any of the content you consume on the website and podcast, this is based solely on your decision, and I cannot be held liable for any of the consequences of such action or inaction. Right, with that important information out of the way, let me introduce my guest. On this week's show, I get to sit down with Raphael Jefter. For those of you who don't know this man's story, I think you're in for a real treat. One of the big reasons why I brought Raph onto the show was because Raph experienced a lot of success as a young athlete. And unfortunately, life threw some obstacles in his way and he wasn't able to achieve the dreams he set for himself as a young man. This, however, didn't stop him from being successful in other aspects of his life. And I think it's a very, very important lesson for us to learn, for myself, for the listeners, that sometimes life does disrupt your plans. It's not the end of the world. You have to find a way to get back onto the horse, as the cliched saying goes. I think Raf's story is an awesome tale of someone overcoming difficulty and being able to achieve success in the other spheres of his life after he realized his dream to become a professional sports person weren't going to materialize. So without further ado, here's my guest, Rafi Jefter. Today with me I've got my good friend Rafi Jefter. So you wanna you wanna fire away, give us a little insight into the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> Jeez, well, yeah. I mean, as you said, my name is uh, my full name is Raphael Jifter, um, but Rafi is is very is, it's what I've been known as uh, right from school days. Um, but yeah, so born and raised in Cape Town, um, went to school locally, Web Pups, which, which is Western Province Prep for primary school. Then I was at Bishops for high school, um, and did the the routine thing of uh, going to UCT as well, studying become <laughs> become accounting. Um, couldn't be any more. Couldn't be any more bishops. Could you like <laughs> any more southern suburbs? Well, <laughs> but yeah. So um, that's pretty much. Uh, I mean, I don't say that's basically my life, but uh, yeah. Currently now living in London. Um, so I've got, got a bit of a finance background. I'm working for a company called Workiva. Um, I'm a solutions architect. I basically build financial solutions for for companies um, using our platform. But uh, going back to school days, is that pretty much? Um, I'd say you know I, I I'd like to I played almost every sport. Um, you know, going from primary schools like there was uh, water polo, cricket, rugby, hockey. Um, and then obviously athletics was my, was my forte, which was my bread and butter. Um, and you know, people know me as, as, as the runner, the sprinter, but I mean, 
sort of growing up, it's like I only really found my, I want to say my sprinting genes, like sort of came in when I was 12 years old, so in grade six. Because um, I mean, right from like when we first started running from under nine or basically eight years old, um, it didn't really interest me too much. Um, but so I think I think grade six was was the turning point because that's when I had my first growth spurt. Um, and then I kind of realized, okay, this is something I can get into. And it's like, I was actually watching a video of our, I think it's like a primary school was quadrangular. So it was Whip Pups, Weinberg, Rhenish okay. and Bishops. Um, that's Rhenish boys. Was it boys school? Uh, no, I think. Rhenish, not mix, mixed. I think it's it? mixed. Yeah. I think the primary school is definitely mixed. Um, okay. Um, but uh, and then the high school, I think it's just the girls um, at the moment. But anyways, um, so I would like it's, I watched a video of myself when I was in grade six versus a video of when I was 13. Um, and there's a big difference of my style of running. Um, and you could see like in grade six, my arms and legs were kind of all over the place. And sort of I, I was like, I was winning, but like only just one. And then and, and when and 13 came along, that's when it really, the training really kicked in. Um, and everything sort of was, I don't want to say compact, but it was like refined. So my running style was just, everything was in line and it became uh, a very smooth, smooth running style. Um, and that, was that organic or was that uh, just like through focus training with a, with a coach who knew what they were doing? Yeah. So that was with a coach and they knew what I, um, and then knew what I was doing. Ugh what they were doing. Um, so my coach was Yaku Enslin. Um, and my dad, I think we found him in, I don't know how he found him, but it was at Belleville athletic stadium at the velodrome. Um, there was the, I mean, there were quite a few coaches around in that area, but, uh, my dad took me to Yaku and that's basically where they refined it. Um, and yeah, so I started going in, in grade six, um, uh, do training at Belleville and it's a, you know, a bit of a trick, you know, going out there the whole time. Um, but no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it became, um, that be- started the obsession with, uh, with track and field and sprinting. Um, and essentially how I modeled my running style was, was based on Michael Johnson. Um, yeah, he just had this like, this fluid motion. It was just almost like seamless the way that he was sprinting. And obviously, I mean, Michael Johnson was a 240 meter runner. Um, and I, I, my favorite, um, event was the 200 meters. Um, cause it was long enough to be actually when I think about it, it's like the reason why 200 is more my, was my event was because I kind of enjoyed the chase. So tournament, you've got the staggered start. Um, so I enjoyed chasing people and then there's where the hundred meters meets the 200, it basically forms a little V flattens out. Yeah. yeah it flattens out, forms that V. And I knew like I, what was drilled into my brain. is like, when you hit that V, that's when you need to basically you're accelerating the whole bend. And when you hit that V that you need to be at top speed. Um, yeah. And when you hit that, when I hit that V, that was just when it just, you know, you, when you track and you book it. That's so interesting. Um, also, like I feel, I feel like someone like Usain Bolt, for example, you only see the absolute domination over the two hundred. Like, yes, okay, he smashes people in the hundred, but like when he hits open stride on the two hundred, it's unbelievable. When once he hits his top speed, it obviously for him it takes a bit of time, and once he hits it, 
the gap just like widens and widens and widens. That's where he's at his best. Yeah, hundred percent. Because I mean, if you think about it, like you know, the sprinters these days is that you know, well, if I think it back, you know, so sort of like two thousands and things like that, you know, all your sprinters were these like blocky, like think of like Maurice Green. Yes, you know, he's just the Safa Powell. Man, so you know, yeah, these powerful human beings, and then Usain Bolt just changed everything. You know, because he's this tall, lanky chap. You, yeah, you think he'd be more of a middle distance, like eight hundred, one five. But jeepers, I mean, I mean, he really showed showed everyone that you know you don't have to be a um, a blocky powerhouse to be able to, you know, get those insane times. Like if you look at Noah Lyles, who's currently, um, I'd I'd say like he's he's definitely like the top athlete at the moment. Um, and if you look at his build, he's also built like uh, Usain Bolt, so he's tall and lanky uh, not as tall as Usain Bolt but he's like you know he's this the skinny person but yeah so just going back to like my my track days is that essentially it was uh in grade six was the first year that I made province uh provincial team um and um, I ran the 80 meters the 100 and then the 150 because yeah, for under twelves, you didn't have there. Were, there was no um, two hundred meters, or uh, there was four hundred, but there was no two hundred meter event, um, or at least back then. Um, so I did the eighty, hundred, and one fifty, and I think I got bronze in the eighty meters, and then I didn't make it um, into like into the semis for the hundred and um, and the one fifty. Yeah, and then. And under 13 came along, um, I think that's also when it just, when I burst into the scene it was, um, well, that's when I started breaking, like I broke my first record, uh, at web pups and then quadrangular and then made the provincial team for hundred and two hundred under 13 is when it changed over. Um, and then I broke the under 13 record for hundred and two hundred that's provincial. And then also the national record. And that's when I won on my first gold at oh, nationals okay. and raf just to jump into sorry to interrupt you but i just want to ask um maybe maybe i wasn't listening properly um did you mention how did you so how did you like get into running was it just by by fluke did you did someone say hey you're you're actually quite quick like you should pursue this or was it one of your parents that said hey wait a minute you've got a talent here like let's try and go with this to give context to the listeners here um in South Africa, it's not, it's not necessarily a massive school sport, for example. So I would have understood had it been like rugby or cricket or something, then I would have assumed, okay, you've you've come into that through your school because most schools play cricket, soccer, rugby, or whatever it is. But running in South Africa or athletics in South Africa isn't necessarily like a major school sport. So how did you how did you get started? Like what did, what sort of what is the what is the sort of spark that lit things for you to get into running? So I think like the catalyst was um, in grade six is when I um, uh, it must have been from like interhouse from interhouse running. It's like when I won the first event, um, and so my mum was a provincial athlete as well. So she was a sprinter um, for Boyland back in the day. So I think it it might have been like um, something my my parents saw. Um, it's like okay, maybe there's something there, and that's when my dad took me to to Belleville. Um, it might have been like I think my mum's dad who might have said something to my parents and be like, okay, listen, this this chap might be, um, might have something here. Yeah. 
at Bishops, we'd heard about you because I was at Bishops Prep, so I didn't, I wasn't at West Pubs, but we'd heard about you via the grapevine. Obviously, like people would started talking. I think that was grade seven when you were in grade seven. So I think I was in grade six. And, you know, people would say like, oh, you must see this chap run and things like that. I can, I can actually even remember, I think I watched you run for the first time when you came to Bishops at high school. I think I watched, um, like everyone was talking about it. And yeah. So what I wanted to find out from you, like there were so many rumors, like this is the time he's, he was running, this is the records he's breaking. Like, I mean, there was some wild stories. Like I remember someone told me once that you ran, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, it doesn't even make sense. Someone told me that you ran a faster time when you were like 12 than when you were 18 or something. <laughs> like there, was cr- there were wild stories like that. Like, um, so maybe you can like shed some light. Like what, like what kind of, of times were you running and like, what was your progression like? Um, and sort of, what, what do you think was was the was the driving force behind your times increasing or not changing or decreasing? Was it training? Was it diet? Or was it a combination of things? Maybe you can talk a bit because obviously I'm a layperson. Like I don't really know the insights of 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 a runner or an athlete, someone like like yourself. So maybe you can share a bit about about that side. Like, you know, what your progression was like and what your training was like, um, and why you think. Uh, why you think things did or didn't change the, the way that you sort of expected them to? No, cool. I mean, the fact that you know, there was a rumor that I was running faster times in primary school than I was when I when I turned eighteen. But because um, I think in terms of times wise, is that you know, like the progression of like actual training and how it, how it helps an athlete is that. You know, in under 12, I think for the 100 meters, I ran like 12, 6 or, or like I was, you know, 12 and a half seconds um, at the age of, well, in grade 6. So that's what, 11 turning 12. Um, then training came along um, or more refined training came along and relying on like natural talent as well as to like, you know, just streamline my, my running style as well as being able to work on your power, your acceleration, your, your start. Um, you know, so like 12, six and under 12. And then I hopped down to 11, two and under, under 13. Okay. Wow. That's a big difference. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it became quite a big difference and it's like, that was all on sort of just uh, body weight exercises and not going to the gym or anything like that. It's just natural talents as well as, uh, you know, your physical training that you're going through. And then under, when under 14 came along, um, I think that's when it really started like kicking in because uh, coupled with, you know, a growth spurt that went through and, you know, your body, you know, as a teenager, you start, your body's like filled with testosterone and starts coming out and, you know, you, know, you just want to give it horns. Um, and, you know, under 14 came along and then I, that was the first time that I dipped below 11 seconds. So it was like 10, nine and under 14. Um, and it's because my birthday is in August, you know, so it's, everything's at the age of, and then, you know, your track career, sorry, track season is, you know, at the beginning of the year. So from like January to April. Um, so yeah, flip. And then, okay. So that was under 14. That's when I first dipped under 11 seconds. And then under 15, so 14 turning 15, um, that's when I ran my fastest time. Um, that yeah, my fastest time ever, which was 10.56. Wow, that's quick. Um, and that was at SA Champs um, in, I think it was like Secunda in like Mpumalanga or something like that. 
Was that on Tartan? You running on, on Tartan, not on grass? Yeah. Okay. And also, so, you know, going back to under 12, like running on grass and with no spikes. Then under 13 came along, running on grass with spikes, and then obviously doing the championships, and that's that's all on Tartan. Um, um, I'm just trying to think now. Yeah, like getting to high school as well. It's like, you know, when I'm under 15, it's like, you know, t- athletics was my main sport, but it wasn't my favorite sport. Um, my favorite sport was rugby. Um well, getting to high school. And I always thought that, you know, I wanted to be a, I'd rather have been a sevens player rather than a fifteens player. Um, you know, and I enjoyed that, the faster pace of sevens rather than, you know, fifteens. Not that fifteens is not fast paced, but it's just, you know, it's fren- uh, sevens is just more frenetic, I want to say. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and I guess, I think almost in a way, a little bit unlucky timing a little bit. Like I think, Sevens only really started gathering some traction a few years, maybe after we were out of high school. Like it only really blew up, you know, a little bit later in South Africa. Anyway, Mm. Um, the global sevens game now is massive, and I think it was less of a thing when we were when we were growing up. And I think had you been had you been in school nowadays, maybe someone would have actually earmarked that and been like, "Hold on a minute, this chap will be good for sevens," and maybe you would have been you would have had an opportunity to specialize a bit more Whereas, obviously growing up um, just for people that aren't familiar with South African schools, like the rugby, the 15 man game is the predominant thing at school yeah. boy level. So like, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate in terms of yeah. timing, I guess, because I can imagine on a sevens field with, with a bit of space, oof, you would have been lethal. Yeah. How cheap is that? And I'm like, <clears throat> just thinking back, it's like, you know, with, so in my grade 10 year, um, that's when like sort of injuries really started coming through. Um, so when you're chopping and changing between athletics and rugby or athletics and, you know, cricket, for example, um, I found that like I was getting a lot more sort of strains on my hamstrings rather than like anywhere else. And so, you know, you're going to like physios and things like that, but you know, I never, I was never in the gym for, for athletics. So doing specific exercises to work on my explosiveness, to work on the power coming, generating through my legs. Um, and I think the thinking back is that if, if I had done or specialized in athletics and not played rugby, um, it'd be at a different, different stage. Cause you can, you can actually see if you look at the times and the timeline of my athletics career, it's like, you know, my times came down rapidly with training, but without gym work, without having to do strength work, um, in the gym, uh, I was just relying on natural talent and just the training to be able to sustain that speed. So um, I do think that if I if I had changed your approach, yeah. So I would have changed my approach. You know, back then, it's like I would have gone into the gym and done specific exercises or worked out a program and things like that. Another thing that I that I've really kind of realized in the last year or two almost like forget that when we were that sort of 15, 14, 13, like the internet was a thing, but it wasn't what it is like today. Like if you are a kid nowadays and you are 12 years old and you, you find, holy shit, I'm actually quite quick. I've got something here. You can hop onto the, onto Google and you can pretty much find anything and be like, Oh, okay, this makes sense. Whereas in our days, like you wouldn't have, there wasn't the same access to information. So, it's it's super mm. interesting. Like I think one needs to remember that growing up now, you, there's a luxury of information that we didn't really necessarily have. Like I think I often think like I was 
in high school now and I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was in grade 10, 16, 17 years old. I had no idea sort of what I wanted to do in the future. Nowadays, as, as a young person, you can hop online and just be like, okay, cool. These are my, these are what I'm naturally good at. Google what sort of profession kind of suits and fits my personality traits and those kind of things. You can get that stuff all at yeah. the click of a button. I mean, you're talking about approach there. So I'm, I'm just thinking like you probably would have found it easier nowadays to kind of you know, find that information out for yourself, obviously with the help of your parents and your coaching staff and stuff, kind of like stumbling along. You're not really, it's not the, quite the same thing. So it's it's quite easy to say, oh, well, I would have changed my approach and things like that. But at the time, yeah. it would have been tough. Yeah, but but just you're actually, I mean, you're 100%, you're spot on in terms of access to information. Because, I mean, if you look at some of the like high school kids now, when they turn 16, I mean, some of these kids are built like brick houses. Which is insane. So, you know, you're hitting, they're hitting the gym since the age of 13, 14 years old, you know, and it's you know, also like protein shakes back then. And like, if you think about it, protein shakes back then wasn't, wasn't a thing. I remember like in grade 12, so matric, so finally of high school for those international listeners, I was like gymming quite hard. I'd started training because I'd in, I think August of 20, not even 20, 2003, seven i was i decided like look i don't know what i'm doing next year um i hadn't applied for the university and any of that stuff because i i was planning on taking a gap year and my dad was like no mate you're not taking a gap year like i'm not funding a gap year basically just to, so, to hang around <laughs> yeah just for me to sort of go to go to the uk and basically just party for a year he was he was not keen on that so um he said to me what well what about personal trick at bishops and then that was like oh, okay cool and then um, someone said to me, I can't remember if it was one of the guys in grade 11 or if it was a, a rugby coach. I can't remember. But someone put it in my head. They were like, look, you might be able to play first side if you do personal trick because the depth in the in the position that you play scrum off isn't as 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 deep as what it is in like the, your year and, and the year ahead as well. So I was like, hold on a minute. This is a, this is a bit of news to me because I obviously when you – at school, you, you always are focused on your age group. Like, you don't yeah. really think about above and below and because you're not competing against those guys. And then I was like, okay, that's that's like a huge incentive. And then I started training. So I remember, like, <laughs> I was in the boarding house. I remember I was, like, on the protein shakes and on creatine. And everyone was like, mate, you're taking steroids. You're taking creatine. <laughs> I was like, bro. <laughs> uh, just, it's just, it was so funny. Like, back then, creatine was like, everyone was like, oh, my God, he's on creatine. Like, he's going to gain like 20 kilos of muscle <laughs> oh, that was wild <laughs> yeah and it's also it's like you know it's it's like that the creatine factor like, you know back then it was just like this oak is definitely on steroids must be must be has yeah. to be because you can't put on that much muscle so rapidly in such a short time but that's what creatine does it's like now yeah. people are like okay maybe mm, yeah it's a good thing yeah like i took i took a, a personal trainer's course in at the end of last year i wrote the exam so i started in february last year and then i finished it in, in the november was in the november was an exam the exam was in november <laughs> yeah. and um i that the only supplement that my that the course provider um recommended as like being because it was a it was a scientifically based personal training certificate so everything was backed with research and data mm. and science which is like that's why i chose them because i want to approach Everything I do is like from a logical scientific background kind of view. So um, it just made sense for me to, to do it through through him. 
Um, and he actually only recommends creatine as a as the supplement. Like he, he says, okay, look, protein shakes if you need them for convenience, but he prefers it if you're eating your protein from like whole foods. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, but creatine is the only supplement that he says uh, is scientifically 100% backed. Um, and the only downside of that is that some people don't respond to creatine. Some people just actually don't have the genetic markers. So yeah. you, you can take creatine and it won't do anything for you because your body doesn't actually synthesize it and use it, which is which I didn't know up until I did this course with him. So, um, yeah, so it's quite interesting that like how people were marking it back then. And now if you had to start running as a 12-year-old nowadays, you'd probably find that your coach or whatever, that would be like probably the first supplement that you'd go on is, is creatine because obviously they understand it better. And it's the most... I think it's the most scientifically researched supplement in the world at the moment. It's got so much backing. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I mean, I think about it now. It's like you know, if 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 I could, I probably would. Um, but more maybe like when I was in, like when I was hitting that plateau in under in grade nine or grade ten. Because I mean, I, I think that definitely would have helped, and coupled with you know actually you know going to the gym and doing strength work and you know you know power squats and things like that. Um, I think that could have definitely have been a game changer back then, you know, because um, it was in grade nine as well. Grade nine and grade 10 is that um, I actually applied for a scholarship to the States to go run in the States. Um, and it was at UPenn, uh, so University of Pennsylvania. Um, they offered a scholarship. Um, so at the end of my matric year, after I wrote finals, I would have, um, shot off to to the states um, for that, but then obviously, um, you know, I kind of felt that in getting that scholarship, it was, <clears throat> it was something to work towards and something to work to. But I also realized that, like, you know, I had something to fall back on, so I didn't work as hard because I knew that I had it. Okay. Um, and then my sort of path kind of changed, and you know, I wanted to play rugby more uh, rather than do track and field because I knew that you know, once I leave school, then that was the plan was to go and do track and field in the states. But yeah, so in, in playing rugby, you know, you know, when you get, in, I'm sure you went through it as well. It's like when you uh, in your post matric year when you go on the first team like training camp. Um, yes. Yeah, so it was during the training camp, uh, you know, going into it. And in my final year of school, you know, like I weighed 56 kgs. 56. Uh, I mean, you're like, I mean, I was, I think I was smaller than you in terms of height. I, I think I am smaller than you in terms of height. So, geez, I, I mean, I was light and I was weighing 63. Yeah. So you, that's so light. I mean, I always thought, I always thought I was too small to, to play rugby. Like that was always sort of. Like a lot of people had told me that, you know, over the, mm. o- over time, like, oh no, you, you're too small, you put on some weight. Like I was just, I mean, I was training, trying to put on weight, eating. I was doing everything. I could not put on weight. I was like an extreme ectomorph. I mean, it's genetically, it makes sense. Like my mom, she was tiny. So I think I unfortunately inherited the, the, <laughs> col- the colored genes from, from the onside of the family. <laughs> I didn't get too many of the, of the European ones from dad. So yeah. So I mean, Yo, I'm just thinking about my like struggles with weight. So, like, was it something that you were actively trying to change? Like, were you trying to put on weight for rugby, or was it something that you kind of couldn't do because it would take away from your running? Yeah, I mean, 
in the final year of school, like it, that's what it essentially boiled down to. It's like I, you know, I wanted to play rugby, so I was like okay with trying to put on weight and you know trying to just sort of bulk so that you know if I were I was in a you know got involved in a big tackle, for example, I wouldn't get hurt. Um, and that's essentially what happened. You know, playing playing against Boyle and Lumper. I mean, I remember this day so vividly. It's like the twelfth of May, two thousand and six, playing on the first team field, um, playing for the seconds against Boyle and Lumber. But was that at Bishops or was it out there? No, it was, it was at Bishops. It was on the Piley. Um. I think I watched. I think I watched this because I was always like interested to see. Because obviously, everyone at high school knew how quick you were and stuff. So it was always fascinating to watch you run with especially with like ball in hand sorry continue like i was playing was i fullback or was i wing i think i was playing fullback at the time um and i remember their fullback kicked i gathered the ball and i went on a run and i, I beat the first guy and i had um Masaris on my outside and i decided to step in but as i stepped in it must have been like the most awkward um i think my body was just in the wrong position for me to actually step off my left and as I planted my foot essentially what happened is that my knee twisted and immediately as it twisted I just almost dropped but as I as I stepped and twisted the prop came and clotheslined me so it was like a high tackle so essentially my knee twisted and as I got a high tackle it snapped back popped yeah and then that was my ACL completely done um, I remember there's a series of photos. I must actually see if I can find the, the, the series of photos because you see me running with ball in hand. You see me step. You see the prop come in, and then you just basically see me sort of like that. Like um, I don't say not shutter images, but um, anyways, it's just a series of pictures. Yeah, like perfectly capturing yeah, the moment. And then you just see everyone's faces in the background. They're like, oh, what earth happened to this chap?" Yeah, so I was lying on the ground and there was a doctor on site and he was basically moving my knee around and, you know, like at some point it was, like it did hurt and things like that. Um, but I think it was just more the adrenaline and the shock that was telling me that my knee wasn't that that um, sore. Um, and all that happened is like, so I went off the field and then they strapped it up and then I was also on the bench for the first team. Sitting on the side, sitting on the bench for the first team, and my knees like all strapped up. And the doctor says, "No, like you should be fine. Like it'll, it'll be all right. Um, I think it might just be some bruising on the bone, but uh, you should be good to go for the next game." And I'm actually lucky that wow. I didn't come on for the first team because afterwards, about two weeks later, I, I just couldn't walk on my knee at all. Um, my knee was swollen, like it was blue as well. Swollen, and then. Yeah. Like there was definitely something wrong. So then I went to went to the doctor, um, and then he referred me to a oh God, I think it was Doctor Funamava at Sports Science. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I was going to ask if it was that because I I I had my knee up. My first I've had two. My first knee up was at Sports Science with Doctor yeah. Funamava. So I've I've also had two. Same thing. Um, also with Doctor Ma- uh, Funamava on the same knee, which is oh, was pretty crappy. But, um, yeah, I had the MRI, excuse me, and he basically says, and when he showed me the MRI, it's like, you see this this black gap here? And I'm like, yeah. It's like, well, that's where your ligament should be. There should be like a white line essentially showing. So I'm like, okay, but so where is it? He's like, well, that's the point. Like your ACL is completely, it snapped He's quite straightforward. Like I, I enjoyed that about him. Like he didn't, didn't beat around the bush with me either. Like mine was bad because I, 
I'd hurt it playing soccer, like casual soccer up mm. at UCT um, for like the, I can't even remember what the league's name is, but it's it basically just you make make a side with mates and then you play. It's like a friendly league. I'd hurt it then. I was very, it was very similar to you. So I was, I like kind of hobbled off. I was like, mm, it's a bit sore, but it's not, it's not too bad. And I think it was exactly the same thing. I think it was the adrenaline and kind of not realizing the extent of the injury. Because in my opinion, it, it was sore, but I'd expect it worse, especially because it was like a ligament injury. I thought like if, it, if your ligament goes, you're going to be in severe pain. Like, so mine was like throbbing and sore, but I woke up the next morning and it had like ballooned. And bru- also a bit of bruising and stuff. I was like, what the hell is going on here? So then I left it. I went and saw a physio. And the physio was like, look, it doesn't look good. You should go and have an MRI. Young and stupid, didn't do that. Like just took a break from like sports, like six to eight, I think six or eight weeks. I didn't like play any serious sports. And then I, anti-inflammatories, ice packs, all that kind of stuff. And then I was coaching rugby at Bishop's Prep. And I was holding the, the, like the rucking bags. And one of the kids hit the rucking bag and I put my right foot back to plant and it just, it like set, like my knee just couldn't take it. And I buckled and like, obviously it, it looked like this 12 year old kid had like knocked me over and all the, all the kids were like, Oh teacher, you got like, you got owned, you got owned. Like, um, and they were like laughing. Cause he was also, he wasn't like a massive guy. Um, and they obviously thought, and then, then two seconds later, everyone realized like I was like in agony on the ground. I was like, Oof, that's not great and then the kids saw and they're like oh shit there's like something actually has happened here and they ran and like called Mr. Fogarty actually Brendan Fogarty came over and like <laughs> I was like what happened what's going on yeah I told Fogs like listen I I'd heard it about two months ago and and he's like oh shit and then Funny Merva's kid I think was actually in my side and that's how I got connected to yeah got connected to him so I went and saw him and then um yeah that was I didn't have any any injuries at, at high school, so I was very lucky when it came to injuries. It was only after school that I started getting injuries. Um, but maybe you can talk a bit about like that first knee injury. Did that must have impacted not only the psychology of, of of moving around and like trusting? Like I found that with me, like I didn't trust my knee after that. And then, did your time? Did it affect your running times? Like obviously, because I mean, ACL is. I found it took me more than a year to like get back to full speed in terms of everything. Like it, it was such a uh, such a horrible injury because it just takes such a long period of time to, cu- to yeah, recover. It was from. actually a, it was a big turning point or oh, game changer for me. It's like injuring my knee because I mean that was essentially. I mean, when I went to Doctor Fanamava, he was just like, "You basically you can't play sport for the rest of the year," and that was a big knock to uh, like my confidence. Um, so, I mean, cause that also meant that like number one, that I couldn't go to the States. Um, so that scholarship f- fell through. Um, it's yeah, tough, I mean, eh? it was, it was hella tough cause like it coming from as, as like a sporty, a really sporty person is that, you know, to be told that you can't play any sport for the rest of the year is a massive knock. So it took, uh, like, I took a big hit after that and that was like, basically my sporting confidence and then as well as my sort of like academics took a knock. Um, I just kind of, you know, almost gave up essentially. And I just like stopped trying after that. It's very underrated how impactful something like that can be. Like, um, I, obviously this is, this show is here about you and stuff, but so much of what you say and so much of your story resonates with me because that that's exactly what happened to me. So I got injured in when I was 20 and I didn't realize it at the time, but like I was going through quite a rough patch in my life. Like my parents had recently got divorced. Um, 
I wasn't doing, I wasn't, I wasn't loving law school. I was in law school at the time. I was actually a little bit disillusioned with law. Like it, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And then I got injured in rugby and the rugby field actually was where I was like releasing all my tension and my stuff like that. And the, the like, after the injury, all the wheels came off. Like I went through a really, really rough time after I, I was, I, cause I, I was using rugby as like a crutch. Um, and I didn't realize it until I got hurt. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not only the physical part about it, Doug. I mean, as you said, it's, it's the psychological part about it. Um, and you know, if I think about it, it's like, what would I what would I change? Like, would I have been more vocal about it, or vocal about my issues, um, vocal about how like how I felt about it? Because you know, I don't think that uh, well, actually. I mean, you know, obviously as a parent, you know. When you, when my parents like approach me about it, like, how are you feeling? You know, I just <laughs> block it. I'm like, just one word answers. Like, no, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'll get through it or whatever the case is. But it's actually, it took a big impact um, psychologically. Um, yeah, it took a big knock. I think as, as a young, as a young, as young people, I always look back and because I've got a younger brother who's now mm-hmm. 20, turning 20 in, in uh, August. And like when I try and talk to him about certain things, like I realize there's a maturity gap there. Like you don't, you don't, you're not able to actually deal with that situation as an adult because you aren't an adult. Like your brain, especially young men, like our brains only fully form. Some of us like 25. (laughs) So I think like we're not like, I I was exactly the same. Like people would ask me like, you know, uh, especially after my folks got divorced, people would ask like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And like, look, to be honest, I think I hadn't really even really processed it well enough to give a an honest mm. answer. But the my immediate reaction was always like, well, I don't really know this person that well. Um, and I don't really want to get into my feelings with them. So I'd just, yeah, I'd say like, no, you know, I'm okay. It's fine. It is what it is. I'll get over it. And I, I think the same. Like I could have dealt with it so much better, but I just didn't, as a kid, like I didn't know what the hell I was doing out there. So I think it's so interesting. Like your story literally so similar to mine not 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 the not the details of the story but the but sort of the the main themes and like the psychology of it is so similar to my story i mean and that's also the thing is that you know if i if i go back to you know after it happened and being told that you you know you can't play school sport or you can't play sport um for the rest of the year you know it's like if i had sort of like gone into it and just been um done my rehab properly and then try to get back because um i don't know if with your knee did they use a graft or, they, or did you get a donor i used a, i used my own hamstring so i think it yeah, was yeah. a graft yeah it's graft yeah so i mean that also because when they use part of your hamstring now obviously it feels like there's a hole in the back of your leg and and yes. you need to the specific exercises that you need to do to be able to build that muscle back you know just to well, not uh, maintain but uh, supports your your muscles, um, yes. and I should have I should have gone into like proper rehab and just done it and completed it and you know taken because afterwards it's like in when the, the second time that I did my knee that's when I did my rehab properly so I've never really been like going back to full speed um, at all I'm always just coasting. Because um, I'm just too scared that you know my hamstring's going to pull or something's going to you know come out of place or anything like that. So you know, and I feel like I can 
go full speed or I can get back to where I was, but it's, you know, it's, it's a psychological thing that you need to get back into. Mm. You know, it's the proper training that you need to get into it. Um, and, you know, I, I still feel that way at this, at this point in time, even though, you know, I'm 33 at the moment. Um, you know, once you hit 30, you know, things start, uh, start getting a little bit shaky, but, uh, yeah, but now I know, for example, I'm like, I mean, as you say, you know, your brain as a, as a male is like, you know, you, you become more mature and yeah. I know exactly what I need to do. I know the training that I need to do, but you know, it's just like, I don't want to say life gets in the way, but you know, you need to just have the discipline to be able to, you know, you know completely get back into it. And it's a big, big commitment. Like you, you, like what I've realized as I've gotten older is there's only so much capacity you have. Um, like I, for my example, I was doing a bit of competitive bodybuilding and I was also boxing as well at the time. And I realized, I got to a point where I was like, you ac I actually can't do both. I've yeah. got to choose here. Like, am I going to pursue to want to fight and like do a couple of amateur fights or do I want to get on stage? Um, not only are they counterproductive, uh, into like you don't want to be too bulky yeah. as a boxer and as a bodybuilder you don't want to do too much cardio because then you're burning like too many calories um and you're not you yeah. don't have enough fuel to like to, for muscle growth and things like that so i realized like i've got to if i'm going to choose which way to go here um like you can't do both and and be proficient at both so i mean as you know you're working yeah. now as well so you've got to like you'd have to sacrifice something to achieve like those extraordinary results again so that also plays yeah. plays into it. make money and train or yeah. <laughs> <What do you laughs> do? <laughs> make money and train or um enjoy your weekends it, it's a big thing like yeah with the, the whole bodybuilding thing as yeah. well like I, you have to sacrifice obviously a lot like you don't stop partying and um and I, i'm a yeah. very social person so i think part of my struggle with bodybuilding was like it's quite a lonely quite a lonely road to walk is running the same like because it's a solo sport or is, is um, it different I'd say it's like maybe it's a sort of halfway between because, you know, you have your own goal and, you know, you can only go as far as your body can take you. Um, okay. Or when you rely on like natural talent, for example. But, you know, it, there is a social part of it, uh, social part of running because, uh, you know, when you're in your team, you're training with the group, you constantly, I mean, there's this, always this camaraderie as well as a, uh, like you're always pushing each other. Uh, to a certain point. So if you're training with someone that's sort of equal speed or close to you, then you're like, okay, as a competitive person, it's like, you know, you will always want that other edge. You want this edge on, on that person. So that part of it is, is, is also what I enjoyed about, you know, training as a, as a lighty, you know, as a, as a youngster. Um, and I mean, even now it's like, you know, when I got into competitive life saving, Oh yes, I remember you. You were very good at at life. You like flags and things like. I remember this. Yes, yeah. yeah, and like in that sense, you know, with my with my build and my height and size, you know, like flags. That's basically if you built like a little pocket rocket, you know, you, you know, you're a for away. That's flags was my was my was my best, you know. But also, I mean, like I was always weary of of my knee because you know with flags that like, you know you're lying in one position and you've got to turn and run, you know, the opposite way. So you got to, it was always one way that I was trying to figure out, I was like, if, do I turn on my left knee or do I turn on my right knee? And just trying to figure that out. But then started working on exercises to support my, uh, it's basically on my quad, um, just to work on um, supporting my knee. And when I started doing those exercises, that's when I started seeing, you know, proper results and like getting, getting explosiveness in the sand and things like that. 
Um, and, you know, as you said, like when we spoke about protein and creatine, you know, uh, that's also when I started finding out, okay, shit, sorry, small, started finding out no, uh, um, that uh, you know, protein and creatine can really assist me in this because I'm building the muscle and building lean muscle, this, which is what I wanted, as well as getting the power, and, um, you know, generating the power in my legs. It would have been a okay. complete game, game changer back in the day. When did you when did you cross over into life saving? Was that were you still in high school when you were doing life saving? Was it after so I started school? doing life saving? I think first year out of school was there was a, um, a guy in my brother's year three years above me as being king. So he was a very good swimmer. I think he was a provincial swimmer. Um, so he was at Clifton Life Saving Club and he wanted me to come do sprints and flags, and that was the whole idea. So I actually I started life saving when I left school. So in I think that was two thousand and seven. Um, and then I actually flew, I went to the States, um, to do a gap year. So I also did the gap year, but except my dad was said the exact same to me. It's like, if you do a gap year, cool, but you're either going to go stooging or you need to find a job and, you know, you've basically find yourself. So I worked as a lifeguard in, in America, in Minnesota. Um, I did that for like three months, which was okay. quite cool. But then only when I got back to South Africa was when I started doing, uh, competitive life saving. So you have to do your duty and because you know, it's all a voluntary service. Um, but yeah, so when I really started uh, training and competing, was it might have been like 20, probably 2012, around about 2012, 2013. So I really started, um, you know sort of seeing results and getting into finals for flags and sprints and at national level. So, okay. You mentioned you had two injuries, yes. two knee ops, sorry. When, why did you have the second op? Was it, was it a life-saving injury or was it just like you had to go back? Was your knee not feeling like so, what actually happened? Uh, that was during my varsity career. So I, I played um, under twenties at UCT. Um, and when I was like, so I did my rehab for my first stop and then I started feeling, okay, I want to get back into rugby and to see how this goes. Um, and you know, I, oh, excuse me, did the proper rehab, got into rugby and I started realizing like, you know, like stepping off my left, okay, maybe I should play on the right wing so I can actually just, you know, step on my, on my right. Um, but the, the way the injury came was after a rugby match, we, a couple of us went to Long Street. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so it was more of a drawling injury rather than, and it was like something stupid because I was on the back of uh, Martin Miller. So I was on his back and, you know, as a, uh, all pretty, pretty uh, well sourced at that stage, and uh, I think it's um, uh, one of the other guys pushed us, and I thought that we were going to fall over. So I hopped off Martin's back, but I hopped off and landed on my knee. I mean, sorry, I land, I planted my foot, but I think the way I hopped off, I was basically turning already, and as I planted my foot, I just turned, and then I felt like something click in my knee, and then. Mm. That was me done. So that was again ACL. Well, this, at that time was ACL meniscus. Was the first time was just uh, was just my ACL. Okay, okay, that's so interesting. Mine, like identical to me. So my second time around, it wasn't a sports injury. It was like I was running between classes. I'd forgotten a worksheet. Um, for my listeners, there obviously I've mentioned that like I I. I teach. So I'm teaching in South Korea and I was running back to the office to grab the worksheet that I've forgotten. And I, and I jumped, I think like I jumped off, I was running down the stairs and I like jumped off and like turned 
and pushed. And as I turned and pushed, I just felt like, mm -mm, that yeah. doesn't feel good. Um, but I'd hurt it. I, I think I'd hurt it previously playing squash years, maybe yeah. like a year before. And I, t and I t twisted and turned on my knee playing squash. And then it also didn't feel great at the time. And I think what had happened was, because when I went to the doctor here, he looks at an MRI and he's like, you've got a little bit of cartilage damage as well. And he said, like, this normally happens if your knee has been injured for a while and your, your joints are actually rubbing on each other because yeah. the, the ACL is not is not holding them apart properly. Um, and he said, like, when did you hurt your knee? So I said, okay, well, it happened the other day. But now that you mention it, I do remember that I hurt it playing squash. And he's like, yeah, it seems like your knee has been buggered for quite a while. I mean, those obviously weren't the terms he used. But um, yeah, he said, look, you've got a bit of cartilage damage. So I also I hurt my meniscus and did, did the ACL as well. We're literally walking the same road here, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. But I mean, it's like it's it's always. I mean, the second time, it's just it's like something so stupid that just yeah, you know, pops it out. And then that was essentially that's when I knew it's like okay, I need to like that's my rugby career. Like I can't play rugby anymore. Um, yeah, because you know, like stepping on even like to, sort of like today, it's like I'm still quite weary of of stepping on my left uh, off my left side. Exactly the same but, as me, yeah. Yeah, but like, I mean, you know, once again, going through the rehab process and, you know, getting all of that sorted, it's like, I think my, my knee is a lot stronger now than it was after the first time that I did my knee. Okay. Yeah, mine mine feels, I, I don't know why, but the, after the first, I think, I do know why. I mean, I, I was young and I didn't, also, it's exactly the same thing as you. I didn't rehab. I didn't put as much focus on rehab. I took it very much for granted. Yeah. Um, and then second time around, this time around, I've done, I've tried to be a little bit better. I mean, I haven't been perfect, but I've definitely been a, a lot more uh, tactical in my approach in my rehab. So my knee now feels a hell of a lot more stable than it did off the first time. But I'm still like psychologically, it's just never, I don't think it'll ever, I don't think it'll ever be quite be the same. Like I just, if I'm going, if I see the robot change and I, realize okay i can get there if i just jog or, or turn on the gas a little bit <laughs> yeah. I, I, even even in those moments i think to myself mm, but like what about my knee <laughs> is it necessary mm, i don't think so <laughs> it's a huge like it's a huge psychological shift i think like i now understand when i was younger i didn't like get the whole thing like oh when you get injured you, some players don't come back you i mean i remember prime example i, I mentioned this on another podcast is yeah. christian cullen I mean, he was one of my favorite rugby players growing up. Hurt his knees, never was the same again. And I don't think it was phys yeah. a physical thing. I think it was here. I think it was in his mind. His sidestepping was incredible. And after his injuries, that all dried up. Like, I don't think he had the confidence to step the way that he used to before yeah. the injuries. Well, like, I mean, at least step when you're running at full speed. It's insane. If you've not experienced injuries, for those people who haven't experienced injuries through sports, like, yeah, count your blessings because I think... Once you start experiencing injuries, especially big ones, everything's just like downhill from there in, in terms of like the mental side of things. It's very difficult to – and I, I would consider myself like quite a strong men, person mentally, but it's something that I still like struggle with. Um, it's my knee and my psychology around my knee. Yeah. But it's also it's like it's, you know, if, if you're strong psychologi psychologically, but it's also it's like, you know, as – I want to say as a guy, it's like I'm, I'm quite a stubborn person. So, you know, what I realize now is like just ask for help. That's, don't be afraid to ask for help. And that's, that's one of the most like, if I were to, you know, tell my, tell my younger self, it's like just 
don't be scared. It's, it's okay to ask for help. You know, you don't have to walk this path alone. I mean, so many people have done it before. I mean, there are yeah, experienced exactly. people out there that know how to, how to handle it. Your, your folks, just out of interest, your mom and your dad, mm-hmm. um, just that I can tie this in. My dad is quite an old school type of gentleman. So like, you know, men don't cry type thing, you know, very like stoic in his, in his thinking and like, very quite stern quite a stern Mm. guy um and i love my dad to bits and he knows he knows that i like i would easily have this conversation with him but he was yeah like and i think that got into my psychology as well like i'm quite like that as well like i think i'm a bit a little bit more old-fashioned than some people and i think that was also the stubbornness around uh not asking for help and like not not seeking help because not not wanting to look weak it's a huge thing eh? like you I think, especially for like the male listeners, the young male listeners, yeah. if they are, if you are out there listening to this and you are struggling with something like injury or uh, struggling with something mentally, like as you, as Raf said, there, you know, it's so important to to speak up. Like it's okay, especially nowadays. I mean, that's what I'm asking. So, w- w- was it was it something that was like a something from your childhood, or were your parents quite old school, or was it a personal choice that you didn't reach out and yeah, seek help? Yeah, I think help? it was a bit of both. Um, like, I mean, my dad as well is like very old school. Doesn't really show too much emotion and and things like that. You know, he's got that mm. that, that stern. He's an attorney, so he's got that attorney mindset. You know? <laughs> my dad's also a lawyer. <laughs> That's hilarious. What? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a law thing. <laughs> I mean, could be. <laughs> And yes. um, that's so interesting. I didn't realize your dad is an attorney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, classic. So cheapest. There's actually a lot of similarities between you and me. Huh? Very. Yeah. So much. The only difference is I'm not in finance. I guess that's the only thing I can say. <laughs> well, I mean, you did CFA one, didn't you? <laughs> CFA one, and I'm looking to get back into finance. Yeah. So, geez, I mean, once that happens, might as well just merge, <laughs> become one being. <laughs> I mean, may as well, may as well. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, my dad, I'd say, yeah, it's very much sort of old, old school, doesn't show much emotion, also, you know, quite stern and, and things like that. So I, I definitely got it from him in terms of being stubborn. Um, and that also part of it, you know, it's like, you know, when I got, when I first got injured, there was just like this, there was always this expectation that I was meant to be the fastest person huge huge um uh huge amounts of pressure this, this is a great yeah. transition because now yeah you can we can talk a bit about this so yeah yeah continue, so i mean yeah. like, there was this like mounting pressure or there was this big pressure on me that you know i needed to return i needed to be get back to you know being the number one sprinter or being the fastest guy and things like that and you know after getting injured that was that that was also part of a big knock for me um Ego wise, as well as, you know, just sort of emotion. There was the emotional part, part of it, you know, because I, I didn't want to let people down. Um, yes. And then getting injured was, you know, even, even though like it wasn't my fault, it, I just felt like it was, it was all on me. It's like, you know, it was, uh, I had this big thing that, you know, that's my fault. Like I'm a, I was a failure and, you know, I failed people and I, uh, you know, let people down in terms of, you know, meeting that expectation. That's that's wild, eh? Like I, I wanted. To, I was actually going to ask you. Um, I've written down here as one of the things I want to talk to you about was like you know that being so young when everything started for you, and obviously you know you mentioned breaking records, setting records, with all of that success. As you're saying now, it comes all that expectation, all that pressure. Was it? What did you find pressure 
and expectations as a positive aspect of of running or of sports or did you think was it a bit like a bit of a negative impact on you so for me just to give my example i loved pressure and i loved expectation like it, it drove me to like obviously on the one hand it drives people to be better i think without the pressure you wouldn't see like high level success and like high level performances because i think it's part of it's yeah. part of the package um but there are just some people that just crumble under pressure i mean our South African cricket side seems to be a great example <laughs> of it. They don't, <laughs> they don't seem to do too well under pressure. Um, so for you, was it was it like a good thing, a bad thing, or like a, a bit of a bit of both? Injury, I th- definitely think it was a, it was a good thing because I mean it, it drove me. I wanted to be the best, you know. So so before I started getting into track and field, I was just like you know happy, just coasting along and everything. But then um, when I found that speed, I was just like, no, okay. There's something here. I want to. I want to harness that. I want to be the best. I want to win. I want to, you know, break records and you know just just make people proud that okay, this guy came from Cape Town and now he's the fastest person. You know, uh, and you know, I, I always wanted to be like the fastest person in, in the world. Um, and then you know, p- post injury, then it became a reality, and I was just like, okay, maybe. Maybe that's not it. Maybe it's not for me, you know. Um, and then that's always like I kind of sort of meandered and then just kind of got lost along the way in terms of what I actually wanted to do or who I wanted to be, you know. So okay. I'm, I'm, I'm only, for example, like I'm only still finding out now as to the type of person that I want to be and where I want to be financially, where I want to be career-wise or and just as a person, you know. Yeah. I think as a youngster... I always looked at older people, mm. um, you know, people in their thirties, forties. Obviously, it's a different world now. I guess, like my parents. I mean, by my age, my mom had, had three kids, and my dad had had no. My mom had, had two kids. My brother was a bit later, but um, my dad had, had had three kids with one of the previous wife, and then two with my mom. I couldn't. I don't think I would be able to deal with that situation right now. Um, the world's a bit of a different place now, but. I always looked at all the people and thought, oh, they, you know, they've got their shit together. Like, they've got everything sorted out. Now, as I've realized, like, now that I'm a bit older and more mature, I, I'm exactly the same as you. Like, I'm still figuring out, you know, where where I can get better, where I can improve. Mm. Um, and I think I've had this conversation with my dad. And he says, you know, there are times where he, I don't know what's, like, what, what to do. And, you know, like, I, I sometimes I'll ask him, like, quite deep questions about sort of, you know, next steps of like, what should I do in this situation? And sometimes my dad says, look, Stace, like I don't necessarily know the answer f- to that question because number one, I'm not you. So like, I can't, I don't know, you know, how you're thinking and things like that. But also sometimes I just don't know. Um, mm. And I think that's something I've realized as I've gotten older. Like sometimes even like, even the people that you think know or have their shit together, yeah, yeah, they don't like. Yeah. I mean, it's and, and and it's okay. Like, it's it's cool to it's cool to still be figuring things out as you're growing and as you. And I think it's a sign of of like a mature person. Like, I think to to assume that you're gonna have things figured out by age thirty or whatever it is, whatever age it is, I think is a bit of a delusion. I think it's important to realize that you it's okay to still be finding yourself and fi- and figuring things out as you as you're growing and developing. Yeah. You know, like walking that path and finding yourself and, and all of that. I mean, that's all part of the experience. And that's how you, that's how you gain experience because you're trying new things. You're trying to figure it out. Um, and, you know, that's, well, jeepers, you know, that's, that's life. <laughs> yeah. That's like the beauty. I think some of the beauty of life is, is that you don't have things figured out. 
part of the yeah, the challenge of it. Um, and then I'm just thinking about my book. Like I, I, I often have conversations with my younger brother because there's sometimes I th- I can see that shit's gonna hit the fan because of like some of the decisions he's made and things like that. And I often want want to say to him like, look, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes and this is my insight. So like, I don't want you to mess up like I did kind of thing. But the thing is, is that I remember my dad having those exact conversations with me. And Mm. it's interesting. Like, I think sometimes the person actually needs to make the mistakes themselves because someone telling you about a mistake isn't quite the same as you making the mistake yourself and learning from from the mistake. hundred percent, bro. (laughs) Anyway, Raf, I wanted to ask you, that was deep. That was good. I wanted to ask you a little bit about like the you mentioned it a couple of, you touched on it a couple of times when you were talking. I wanted to ask you about ego and identity. When you realized that you couldn't run anymore, um, what being a runner, I'm assuming that and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm assuming that like part of your identity was wrapped into the fact that you you were running, you're a sprinter. Like was that also part of the challenge? Like the fact that you realized that your identity was basically dissolving you weren't being able to like walk those that path anymore well i mean i realize that now but you know back then it was just i wasn't about the identity like you know i just wanted to be good at sport and i wanted to be like a i wanted to be a sportsman you know from from back then you know but it's like you know i I didn't actually realize that you know it's part of the it was part of my identity as the runner you know um, but I suppose I, if, if you are a sportsman, that's what you are known as. You're known as the cricketer. You're known as that that rugby player or that sprinter, for example. Um, so I definitely think that. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't want to say you know going to therapy, but you need you need to have that psychological treatment back then, um, or at a young age. If you want, to, if you're chatting to someone that's you know super talented. Um, they need to, they need to know that, you know, for example, it's okay, okay to ask for help. You know, it's okay not to be the best at certain times. You just got to work harder and be focused at, at that particular job or at that particular aspect of, of your career, you know? Perfect. Yeah. Cause I think very interestingly, um, obviously the listeners to the show will know I've spoken to a few sports people, some of them that have ended their careers, they've retired and things like that. Some of the hardest times for them have been detaching themselves from that identity saying for example someone like uh natalie the toy was saying to me you know like she's found it relatively easy to to reintegrate some other guests have spoken explicitly saying like how difficult it is to get back into uh, i never know how like what the terms you use but like they you know into like normal society air quotes you know like stepping out of the sporting world into the into sort of the real world i guess um was that a challenge for you or do you, uh, yeah, I think because it happened to me, you know, in my teen years, I think it was easier for me to integrate into, let's say like normal society of, you know, having to go to university, you know, out of university, what are you doing? You get a job, um, you get a job in finance or you get a job in consulting or, or whatever the case is. You know, so I think for me, it's been, it's definitely been a learning experience. Um, you know, going from, like thinking about it now, but it was it was a lot easier for me to basically just integrate into, you know, follow the flow of of, you know, follow the flow of, of society, as I say, you know, 
going to university, you get the job and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, but I suppose, you know, I mean, if it didn't happen, then I wouldn't be here today. So, I mean, it was quite a sort of, it was an adventurous transition, should I say, you know, when I got to, got to university and then after the second injury, um, at uni, um, I just decided, okay, no, all I wanted to do was just basically party and meet people. Um, okay. so, I mean, that's why I took the, the extended route. So the colorful route at UCT, so instead of completing my degree in three years, it took me four and a half years. Um, okay. yeah. And then like, you know, picked up things along the way, uh, in terms of subjects. So like, instead of just being accounting and finance, I picked up ecos as well, or economics. Um, okay. but yeah, um, you know, when I, sort of left university and wanted to find a job, I you know, didn't know if I wanted to be an accountant, like, or if I wanted to be in finance. So I just basically worked for a company, Intelligent Debt Management, or well, it was called Debt Busters at the time. Oh, it's still Debt Busters, but <laughs> um, yeah, so we basically uh, worked as a, they call us financial consultants. Um, so we offered solutions to clients that uh, would get them debt free but by the time clients got to us it was almost okay. too late but yeah I mean like that's all part of the part of part of the process or part of my process I should say um, you know it's just finding my way and working my way through through life and just trying to see if I actually wanted to be in finance or not okay. um, but yeah but working at debt passes that's actually where I found my wife okay. so <laughs> Uh, she also worked for the company briefly and then and then left to do her articles okay. at Mazar. It's, it's very important to realize that you probably wouldn't have met your wife. You would have been in America had you not got this injury. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's exactly. very, very important to, to like for youngsters out there to realize that I mean, not talking in like a religious context here, but like sometimes those things happen and it puts you in a position that sets you up for other things. Um like I'm exactly the same. I often, I don't like to look at any of my mistakes and failures as, as regrets because you said it earlier, like I wouldn't be who I am today or where yeah. I am today had I not made those mistakes. So um, all of the hurts and all the pain that I've experienced has also led to such great things. Like I, I'm the same. Like I've met, I met Tara and my wife as a result of also taking the scenic route to university. Like I failed my second year of law. And then my dad said, to, my dad had a deal deal with all the kids. He said, like, if you fail at varsity, then you have to pay for the rest of your the rest of your degree. Um, very much like a tough love yeah. kind of thing. And I don't think I took it seriously. Um, so I failed my second year of law. Then the law school said to me, look, look mate, uh, we don't actually want you to come <laughs> back to law school next year. So you can apply to one of the other faculties and good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I then changed. I did economics and politics, but then I was paying for it for myself. So I did have a bit of help. My my sister did help me pay, fund some of it. And I think my dad, I passed second year or first year or something. And I think my dad did contribute yeah. a little bit um, to help as well. Because um, I think he saw like I changed my ways, but I, I paid for it predominantly myself. So it took me a bit longer because I had to take time. I, I, I would work for like a year at varsity and then I would pay for the fees by working outside of us. I think I did a three-year degree. I'm trying to think. I don't want to lie here. I want to be honest about it. So when did I go back? I went back in 2011, I think. 11. So it took me four and a half years to do a three-year degree as well. Yeah. Um, 
just paying for it myself and going going it that way it was tough but it was all of those things so getting back to my point is what led me to like I wouldn't have met Taryn had I not taken the scenic yeah. route because I only met her because I was still hanging around in the nightclubs <laughs> because of of the varsity days like if I if I had got my law degree and and gone started working I don't know if I would have been hanging out in the, in the nightclubs as much but who knows I mean things could have been vastly different no, exactly um and you know the fact that for example I'm like I'm in London at the moment um you know if I had hadn't met my wife I might have come to London a little bit earlier but you know um she always had this dream of moving to London and working in London and you know which I found you know it was fantastic and she's actually the one that um sort of kicked my ass into gear in terms of you know going back to university and and just trying out the whole um CA route so okay. you know after she left the company, I left shortly after, and then she started her articles at Massage, and she was just like, you know, why don't you give it a go, see how it goes, and then yeah, so I, I found a company in 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 town, um, and took me on to do my articles, and I mean that was one of the greatest experiences of my life, and you know I thoroughly enjoyed my articles of you know training as a trainee accountant and things like that, and my boss, oh cheapest he, I mean still today it was more of a more of a good chum rather than a rather than a boss. So I completely respected him, and um, he was just yeah. Some some val- valuable lessons were definitely learned. Um, you know, doing that and going through that, yeah. and you know, still to this day, it's like you know, sending him messages and voice notes and things like that, and you know, he kind of treats me as a. But I kind of see see him as like a, a second father in a way. Awesome, that's great. So like a mentor yeah. in a way, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely a mentor. Yeah. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I normally, the last question that I usually wrap with, and I've maybe started to realize maybe it's a bit of a negative note to end on, but sometimes there's good positivity that comes out of it. Actually, most of the people have been positive about it. The last conversation was interesting of the answer that I got, but I normally ask like, is there anything that you kind of view in your life? Like as, do you have any regrets that you, that you have? And if, if so, um, is it something that you did do or something that you didn't do? Because um, I often find the, the things that people seem to regret are those that they didn't do rather than those that they did. Is there anything like that or do you have a, a little bit more of a hopeful message for the listeners? Well, I mean, sort of toward the end of my end of my 20s, like, you know, there were a couple of things that I would certainly have, have like, or oh, I did regret was, you know, obviously from post-injury is not doing the rehab properly and not being more disciplined. And, uh, you know, during university, maybe I should have not um, left that. I should have stayed in accounts three, for example, um, you know, completed the whole chartered accountancy route. But now that I think about it, where I am at the moment, it's like, actually, I don't regret it. Um, you know, I've, I've completely enjoyed the route that I've gone. And... Where I am now, so I'm sitting in London and, you know, like I'm married, we found a place, we've got a dog and, you know, living a, a, a very happy life at this point in time, you know, and I'm actually, I'm super lucky that I actually do get to travel and I do get to, I've got the opportunity to live and work in London. I mean, like most people don't get that opportunity to live and work in another country. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I'd say the older I get, the more I realize actually, you know, everything has happened for a reason and, you know, you just got to go with it. Just go with the flow, see where life takes you and yep. just, you know, you keep, <laughs> I can't remember what movie it's from, but you keep on keeping on. 
yeah, so it, it's fascinating. Like, I'm, I agree with you. As the older I'm getting, the more and more I'm realizing that, like, there's a lot of wisdom in those old truths or the old sayings that we have in our studies. Like, everything happens for a reason, for example. Obviously, there's a, relig- there's a religious aspect to that. But, I mean, outside of the religious aspect, like, the reason why people have me- probably been saying that for the last however long they've been saying it for is because there's a, there's a kernel of truth mm. in that. Like, um, yeah, it's as I'm aging, I'm realizing, like, you know, these things – the bad things, the good things, it all adds to like your idiosyncratic like situation in life. So don't let it slow you down. Um, just take it, take it in your stride and, and just appreciate the fact that you get the chance to, to actually be here. I think it's important to not take life for granted. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. After all, for, for what we know, you only get one shot. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that takes me to a movie, The Multiverse. But <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. If if there's anything else that you'd like to share, please no, do. No, thank you. It's been it's been quite something. Obviously, it's like you know I haven't really spoken to people about it or anything like that. But you know, it's it's a good platform to to open about things like that. You know. Thank you so much for giving up your time, and I really really appreciate it. And you. Thanks for soldiering through. Um, for those of you, before we spoke, Rafsi is a bit sick today. So thank you so much for soldiering through and, and giving up some of your time. Oh, shot, Bruno. Thank you. It's been, it's been great. I've loved every bit of it. Lekker, man. Have a good one, Raf. Have a lekker Sunday. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, enjoy, enjoy your, your Sunday and yeah, all the best, pal. Catch Cheers, up later. Cheers. Catch up later. Ciao. That's a wrap for this week's show, and I'd like to give a big shout out to all the listeners for tuning in for another episode of Speaking to Stacy. I have received such tremendous support from the community around me, I really can't say thank you enough. I have one final favor. Please could you share this episode with friends and family? It really helps me if you get the word out. It helps me attract more guests for you to listen to. And as always, stay lean.